Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the Big Papa's. That was pretty good. Um, it, was, it was pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, welcome to Stoner's Point of View. My name is Brett. I'm here with my co-host, Comos, Terrell and Phil. You're not getting any clever names today, fellas. Oh, man, you threw Just, me off without the... I know. I was... <laughs> every t- every, every uh, couple of weeks, I got to keep you guys on your toes, so... You know what? Like, I got something clever to say. Something okay. clever to say to a certain uh, little Twitter smart mouth. Uh, Wade. Uh, still looking forward. I've been training, buddy. I'm getting ready. I've been training. Yeah. TLC match. Tender love and care. All right? Well, hold I am on, ready. Hold on, Phil. We have one dedicated listener. And if you ostracize him, we will have zero. So I'm just going to say this. Wade, we've already talked about Phil doing the job. And uh, I've told him that best case scenario, you walk in, finger poke a doom. You take the one, two, three. You take the L. You get out of there and you let Wade have his dignity because we need the damn listeners. Every single one. (laughs) But, no, I'm just kidding, Wade. By TLC, I meant tender, loving care. I just want to. I just want to give you a big, big just old hug. Give a big bear hug. Just a big old hug. Just a big old hug. So, I- we have an interesting episode today, and I want to talk about it. We we all kind of agree that we wanted to do an older song, and I just want to say for the record, songs from the '50s don't exactly blow me away these days no they they really um the first thing i my first note is wow production sucked back in the 50s yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah it's rough it's rough <laughs> it's it's very rough my my first note was actually omg i remember this song word for word and i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but uh but yeah um we're doing uh chantilly lace by the big bobber and as you heard when it kicked in um there's not a lot to talk about. I know we like to go through the structure of the song and stuff, and and I'm down with that. But I just want to say, with this song, the structure basically consists of two parts. There's a chorus, the chantilly lace and a birdie face, like the the chorus of the song, and then there's Big Bopper like entertaining us with like a yeah. one sided phone call to his girlfriend, and that's what makes the song really is like yeah. the, when you hear this song. What you remember is "Hello, baby." Like that's you all remember, you. you that's know all you. <laughs> what I like. I, 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 aside from "Hello, baby," I could not remember anything. Oh, I guess "Chantilly Lace," but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's, I, it's not a very. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I knew the whole song start to finish, and uh, the reason for that was, and I've been talking just in conversations to you guys about this for years, but I found out through the research I did this week that I have my brain melded two different memories. So I had always said that like my dad had this solid gold collection and he did. And I would listen to the cassettes when I would go to bed. And for me, I always remember Boston more than a feeling and Chantilly Lace. And I always thought that they were back to back. Turns out they're actually on two separate volumes of that solid gold collection, volume nine and volume 14. And I would alternate the cassettes but because Boston's song was song one on its respective cassette and Big Bopper's song was song two on its respective cassette, my brain just melded them and just created this fictional memory that they went back to back. So I just want to s- set the record straight and say I've been a dirty, filthy liar. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> and it pisses me off, Brett. I bet. I, I bet it pisses you right off. Um I will talk about the song a little bit, though, because I I do like kind of like the basic like walking bass line is very bouncy and stuff. I I do like that. I'm I'm a bass player and I enjoy I know it's simple. I know it's easy. There's not a lot of depth to it, but there's something fun just in the boom, 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 boom. Like, I just I just like it. It's fun. My my issue is is like the the production is essentially like old, crusty gray dog doo doo. Like, I, I agree. It's, it's like, so bad. Hey, everybody, why don't you stand in that room over there? And I'll put a microphone in front of you. <laughs> but at the same time, you can't you can't listen to a song from the fifties and taking like an audiophilic like snob approach to it in terms of production. Like it's the uh, 50s, I think that's man. exactly what we're doing, Brett. <laughs> I know, but I don't think that's uh, an accurate way to to assess a song. No, but that's not like the, the production values are non-existent. Like it's literally like yes. just like play the song. You might get. You might get two takes, and like, right. yeah, it well, is, and, and it's incredibly expensive and 
primitive. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that that's the uh, kind of the way they did it back then. Like, it was just, you know, we record and you nail it or you don't. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you don't get many chances at it. But you know what? There are songs from the 50s that don't sound like completely awful, like Tutti Frutti, I Walk the Line by Johnny Cash, like Jell's Rock. Like they were probably all recorded very similarly. I guess my yeah. big beef with this song is like it is like an iconic song and like everyone knows it. But like when you listen to it when you're all high, like mm-hmm. the stoners would, like we would, it just is like it, my note here is wow, I hate this song. <laughs> that's that, nice. that's my note. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, to be fair though, like when it does come to the production value and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I was reading something like that. This song—it was actually kind of a joke song. Like it was written on a, like as, as a bit of a lark, and was on yeah. on like it was. They weren't. Uh, they were surprised to see that it like made it as huge as it did because it was just kind of a silly joke song. Yeah, the song is definitely about banging. Like he's oh, calling yeah. up his he's calling up his girl to well, get some. No. It's about it's about fifties domestic problems. Like the line where he's like, "Pick you up at eight and don't be late." He's like, "But baby." I ain't got no money, honey. Like, I know, but he like, still he still wants to kiss her. That's what I'm saying. Oh, like, that's oh, what for the song. Sure. That's what the he song is really to. about. Yeah. yeah, but fifties had uh, an interesting set of problems. Um, but <laughs> a lot the, of songs about kissing and not I will allowed to the, kiss. <laughs> possibly the best part of this song is that uh, it's only two and a half minutes, so easily digestible, easily forgotten. But I will say, of all the, like, we like to market nostalgia on this thing. And for me, this is one of the biggest nostalgia kicks of what we've done so far, just on a personal basis, because of the story that I told before um, about the Solid Gold Collection. So I just want to say something about the Solid Gold Collection for a second. That was like the big shiny tunes of like. I I also had those tapes. (laughs) I had those tapes in in the car. Well, I personally did it. My parents did. So I know exactly what you're talking about and yeah I definitely, those were like yeah they had a lot of bangers on there man i had big shiny tunes two through five i believe nice but you know what the best song was uh i remember this memory so my memory of those tapes brett was my dad um he put on this song it's like you know the one that i forget who sings it but it's like the one where you, you gotta shop around yeah yeah and yeah. my dad was like you know what this song's about it's about not settling just for some girl that likes you you gotta find a hot yeah. chick well, and this one that always got me, I can't even remember who did it, who did it, and I should have probably researched this, but it was like, uh, down in the boondocks, do 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 do, and I was just like, I don't know why I remember these songs from when I was like five, man. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, um, I really, I have no personal connection to to this song, so yeah, there's just like, like I remember hearing it, like I remember hearing it on like those commercials for those yeah. types of compilations, yeah, and uh, but other than that, there's there's. I have no connection. It's a classic song, but it just kind of falls flat for me because there's nothing there. Yeah. One oh, yeah, of the other yeah. connections I, I have this song is in the you know, like my parents also listen to like a lot of like eighties like metal and eighties music in general. Mm-hmm. And the Van Halen song Good Enough, Sammy Hagar starts off yep, with Yeah, starts with the Hello, Hello Baby, right? Baby. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, and yeah. I I knew that more than I knew the actual song where it came from. Well and like I have that memory of this song, but what kind of uh, revitalized kind of my my love for the knowledge and the and the lore behind Big Bopper is just like the the story of the day the music died when uh, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and Big Bopper were all killed in a plane crash. Yeah, and like the story behind that is actually like kind of nuts. Like their their uh, agency who booked the tour just did like the worst logistical job possible. And they had played this show the night before they all died. And to play the next show the next night, they would have had to backtrack through two towns they had already played just to show you how awful really this good uh, tour tour booker. There. Right. Well, what even is worse about it too, is like, think about this. Like their, their one shows in Iowa and then they're in like, Hey, we get to go to Minnesota, boys. Yeah. Get on the private plane. Well, and, and let's not let's not forget that it started in like Wisconsin. So like it was all over the place. And so finally Buddy Holly had had it. And he's like, I'm not driving on this cold ass bus to this show. I'm going on a plane. And originally it was like uh Waylon Jennings and like a, a couple other guys who are a part of Buddy Holly's band were gonna be on the plane. And uh, Richie Valens won his spot in a coin toss. Talk about an unlucky coin toss. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
And uh, and Big Bopper had actually contracted like a, a sickness while on the cold ass buses. And so he was given it kind of out of pity. And yeah, it's just crazy, man, the, the circumstances that went into that. And like when the bodies were found, like Buddy Holly and Richie Valens were found by the plane. The fat, the pilot was found in the plane and Big Bopper was found like a mile away. So there's like all these theories and stuff. This old retired pilot actually tried to get the case reopened. Yeah, because like they thought there was foul play a few and, years and ago. All this stuff. Not, yeah. not just the foul play, but that like there was a re an attempt to reopen it based on foul play. Um, and I think they actually did do that one and then ruled it out and said the original coroner's assessment was accurate. But this retired pilot tried to get the case reopened. And one of the things he was alleging was that it was possible that the reason Big Bopper was found so far from the plane is that he had attempted to land it after the the pilot had like freaked out over the adverse weather conditions. But what did he so do? You're like jump me up- Big Bopper's a boss? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. But what did he what did he do though? Like hop out the plane and like try to pull it down with his weight and like run with his <laughs> he feet was, on the he ground. Was, he was on the girthy side, I will say that. But um no, I just thought that was that was weird. Or like another another theory behind why he was found so far from the plane was that just like when it crashed, everyone died instantly, but not him. And he just like tried to crawl his broken ass body to Yeah, but his whole body was like fractured and broken. And so Yeah. Yeah. So very, it was a really sad unlikely. moment. Um and I know it predates a lot of our listener Wade's uh you know era, <laughs> but I, I strongly advise you go and you look into the, the day the music died and just how culturally significant Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Big Bopper were at the time. I would argue the first two more so than the Bapa, but still, it was it was a it was a rough time in 1959 or yeah. whatever it happened. Bopper, I barely know her. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> so Phil, on that note, uh, what are you going to give Chantilly Lace out of ten? You know, like I, I'm just like this song. I just was hit with like a resounding meh. You know, like I was, I'll give it like I'll give it like a four. Fuck it, <laughs> like I don't know, just a four. I got nothing to say about this song. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, some sometimes you know you can't find the words to rank a song, but you can find the numbers. Two out of ten for me. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a five on nostalgia alone. Gets a five from me. It just gets a so re- low ranking because it literally sounds like like we recorded it in Phil's basement. Like you know what I mean? Like it just sounds so <laughs> bad. Were, we could do a better job in my basement. <laughs> yeah, like it, I it's know not. <laughs> it wouldn't be a hard song, but it was entertaining. And I know that music in the fifties was a lot more about uh, being showman and and doing showmanship. That's why I give it the five. Uh, nostalgia was a big influence for me too. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, I just, like, it's not like I just hate all music from that area, or era, because there is some yeah. great stuff from that era, like... You love Tutti you know, Fruity. Like, You're always talking Holly. about Tutti Fruity. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know what, like, Little Richard was way more badass than Big Bopper, I would say, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, like, music. No, 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 I don't no. know, like, and there's just stuff from that era that... I think is just a lot better than what's what like, we hear in this song. Oh, for like, sure. El- like Elvis, like all of his early yeah, hits. Yeah, like there's like, <laughs> and like and there's stuff that has much better production value too. Like you said, Terrell. Yeah. So you know, and just being that, yeah. Like I have no, no, no nostalgic ties to this song. Right. I just right. like it's just meh. You know. It's just meh. Yeah. That's. Yep. Well, now that that's out of the way, we have gotten with the times folks and there's no breaks in this one you're getting all of us for all of the entirety of our podcast so uh ah, yay. Woo. Yeah, um, and it's probably a good thing because we actually have a v- very long movie whereas uh the song was two and a half minutes uh the movie is two and a half hours and two and a half yeah. hours very well spent Mm-hmm. Yes, Most yes. Time. So uh, before we introduce the movie, well, I guess you already know what it is, Shawshank Redemption. Like, yeah, it's two and a half hours just of just absolute quality filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I complain a lot about modern movies and how they all have to be two, two plus hours. And uh, and this is from a time when films, when there were a lot of good films actually coming out, 
Um, but also, like a movie this long, like it was merited or it was warranted to make yeah. it that long because the like the 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 storytelling and the pacing is just so good, for sure. And and I find that a lot of times uh, movies based on books don't usually like they either. If you're a book snob or whatever, you you might always default to, oh, the movie's never as good as the book. But occasionally, the movie's just as good as the book. And every so often, the movie's a whole lot better than the book. And I would say in the case of Shawshank Redemption, the movie vastly exceeds the short story written by Stephen King. Yeah, which is interesting that, uh, you know, it's from this this collection of stories called Different Seasons, which also had at pupil uh, and the body, which was turned into Stand by Me, so like oh, I didn't know that. So three amazing movies um, come out of this like short story collection by Stephen King, and I only know this just because like I was a nerdy kid that read every Stephen King book. Um, but my only beef, like I, I would say, so I got two things to say. Like first question, is this the greatest movie of all time? Yes, I would say yes. Second question, why are they in Maine? Okay, they're in Maine on the East Coast. Why are they in Maine, but no one has an effing Maine accent? No one has an East Coaster accent in this whole goddamn movie. That's because my... Maine is just something that is thrown into Stephen King books because Derry, Maine is like the, the epicenter of his weird, twisted world that he lives in. I know, but that's where he's from, and I get that, Brett. But like, that's my only beef of this whole movie, as you go throughout the whole movie, is that you. no one in the whole goddamn movie has an East Coaster, like, Maine guy accent well it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they live there right they just got sent to prison there so i'm yeah, pretty but he, sure no no yeah. one <laughs> true yeah true enough. yeah but if you can get past the lack of proper main <laughs> accents in this film which is easy to do for a good one <laughs> which is easy to do honest to goodness one of the finest pieces of cinema ever made uh yeah definitely uh, i i'm i i think this is one of those ones where we're all just gonna gush boys yeah yeah i intend to do so so let's uh let's get right into this we got uh we got andy dufresne the main character um in a car drunk with a gun um turns out his wife cheated on him and wanted a divorce and then we get some interspersed scenes with the court it's like a flashback thing and at the end of the whole thing, he was uh, sentenced to two life sentences. And I just wrote in my notes, damn, like two life sentences. Yeah, like who is he, Mario on a bad day? <laughs> um, but yeah, then we get uh, uh, some narration from Morgan Freeman, who plays a character named Red. And I just want to say, there's a lot of Freeman narration in this movie, and it's incredible. Like, I, I love Red, and I love Morgan Freeman's voice, and I just want it to, like, sing me to sleep. Well, and that's a funny thing about this film. It really launched uh, Freeman's career into doing, like, more, like, voice acting. And he actually said that at first that he was kind of, like, worried about having to do this much, like, narration and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. but he was like convinced by Frank Darabont, the guy who wrote the screenplay that like, turns yeah. out that worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It turns out that was a good idea. And, and I, I think was that's scared of... to narrate a movie, but it worked out. <laughs> What's well, really good. That director too, did, uh, another Stephen King book, green mile as a movie. Yeah. And yeah. what's funny is, is prior it's a second to movie do... after this prior, one, <laughs> prior to doing those, no, he had done like crummy horror movies like years before yeah that, that like weren't all that good so this was kind of his coming out party and definitely i would say between that and green mile those were like his magnum opuses so mm -hmm. good for that guy um but then yeah we get the scene with red up for early release uh well i guess parole technically um and it gets rejected he's got this canned response that he gives every time and it uh always gets rejected no matter how much he says he's changed but as for Red, he's he's a hookup in the prison. He's like a guy who can get you what you want. And uh, he's a regular old Sears and Roebuck, as he says. Yeah. And then so he, we well, find all that. Means. We find all this out through his narration. And then he's like, so when Andy Dufresne asked me to smuggle Rita Hayworth in for him, I said, no problem. And I'm just like, at this point, I've seen the movie, so I know what it is. But if I was a first time watcher, I'd be like the hell is this guy talking about? But it all makes sense later, I promise. There's a lot of that in this film, though, where, like, yes. if you've watched it before, like, the scene where the, um, uh, Norton, the, uh, the, the head guy of the prison, 
hands him his book and he's like, um, so, what does he say? Something about how like inside of the, uh, this will set you free. And it's yeah. true because he put the rock hammer in the Bible. Which, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Look, there's so many little uh, little yeah. secrets in the movie. To, yeah, it's, yeah, it's foreshadowing so hints. But I just want to take a second and uh, say for the, uh, the warden, he is uh, a second timer on our show because he was actually also the chief in Demolition Man. Yeah, uh, an episode yes. that Phil notably missed. Yes. And, uh, so uh, congrats to you, sir. You are now, uh, you've joined the second timer club with uh, Seth Rogen and probably yeah. a couple other guys that I don't <laughs> well, remember. Well, that actor, uh, whatever his name is, I can't remember, but in in Demolition Man, because I actually did watch the movie. I just fell asleep from, before the podcast. His name is and, Bob Gun- It's um, Bob Gutton. I hated him. Like, I, he, it was great acting, but he was just, like, I wanted to punch him in the face so mm. bad in that movie, but for a different reason than I wanted to punch him in the face. In this uh, movie. In this, in The Green Mile. So uh, he's really got some versatility. You know what? He's such a, um, like, perfect evil character. I think what makes this movie so great is that you kind of, like, slowly relate to all the different characters in kind of different ways. Mm-hmm. And like I, I think the the Warden Norton is one of those kind of, like, he kind of sneaks up on you as like the real like bad guy in this, yeah. this film. You know what I mean? For sure. Well, especially because he just has the pretext to being like this uh, Bible loving dude. And really all he cares about is money, which surprise, surprise, religious people love money. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Give me um, your money. God needs your money. <laughs> but to your, to your point, Terrell, um, when uh, one of the scenes that like I, I found, I was finding myself endeared to a lot of the, the side characters and stuff was the scene where Andy gets there with all the prisoners. The and fish scene. It's just, as yeah, I it's, call a fun, it. it's a fun scene where they're all making bets and like the acting is just tremendous in this movie as a whole, but in this scene specifically, I really liked it too. Um, and then, you know, they're all making bets on cigarettes on which one's going to start crying at the start. Um, yeah. I, I love the line where Norton, he like, he lines them all up and mm-hmm. The the one guy's like, oh, when are we gonna eat? And he's like, you'll eat when I say, you'll you'll uh, piss when I say, you'll shit when I say. And then I love when he does, he says the line like, I believe in discipline in the Bible. Put your trust on the Lord, and the rest belongs to me. And it's such like an <laughs> evil kind of like way to, to start the thing. I, I love that whole scene because like it really sets yeah. you up for like, hmm, probably wasn't a good idea to go to prison in 1940s America. Yeah, well, it also <laughs> sets the tone too when uh, like mm-hmm. that same scene when the guy's like, yeah, when do we eat? And, it's, and he just like walks up to the guy and like smashes him in the gut with his baton. Ha- Hadley like, is, yeah. yeah, he's the second well, that, most evil yeah, that, guy. <laughs> that guard captain pulled a lot of macho shit. And like this whole scene has an awful lot to unpack. Like they do the lights out part. And then what I loved is and it actually plays into the movie so i was like kudos to you google play movies the subtitles actually refer to the kid who starts crying as fat ass that's the character's <laughs> name that is the character's name though so like right a, i i know there's like, a story no, behind I, that but john favreau actually tried out for that part little background and he he obviously didn't get it and he said he did a horrible job and it actually inspired him to lose weight or lose weight because he didn't want to be known as fat ass in a movie <laughs> <laughs> So fat ass uh, uh, loses the bet for everybody else and wins it for the one dude by uh, starting to cry first and saying, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And then he gets his ass beat to death, basically. And we find out in the prison cafeteria the next day that, yeah, he was beaten to death and uh, the doctor had gone home. There was no one to save him. And one of the things that stuck out to me about this, and I think it's important, is that Andy wanted to know his name. And like, he's the only person who actually wanted to know what fat ass his real name was, which is why I thought the subtitles was such a, a big thing, right? Because they they paint Andy as just like a different breed of human being, right? Like everything he does is just slightly against the grain enough to change things. It's just and really what, cool. one of the things I love about this movie is like, there's a lot of like subtle humor in it. And a lot of it's kind of like trashy kind of humor i would say um and i don't think you notice it because it's such a fine film but there's like so many lines in here that i wrote down and i just want to me- mention this one um when when fat ass uh you know gets called out for being the fresh put fish and uh, haywood is who's his uh, cellmate you know it's like he's like it's fat ass by a nose and then the guard comes and basically beats him to death 
I, my favorite part is when when fat ass is crying and he's like, I want my mother. And you hear someone yell, I had your mother. She wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I just had to mention really that because there's a lot of that because Red yeah. actually does a lot of like dirty jokes and says a lot of like inappropriate mm-hmm. things. And I think when you're in such a like heavy movie, that's like I find this movie to be extremely dark personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most oh, people yeah. do. There's a lot of like really funny parts like that, that like it kind of like shows the the humanity of the film because well, it's realistic. Yeah. And, and Red has a lot of those kind of lines. Like we get the scene where he's playing baseball and like he's. I, first thing I noticed in my stone little brain was that he was a lefty, uh, which is unusual for a, a baseball player. But anyways, he he meets Andy officially, um, like in in a context of like becoming friends, and you know they go through their dialogue, and everyone in here is innocent, or everyone in here is innocent. And then Andy asks for a rock hammer, and then the one the one thing that uh that I like that Red said is when uh, Andy said, "Why do they call you Red?" He's like, "I'm Irish." <laughs> well the reason why that is is because in the original book um red was supposed to be like an aging like red-haired irishman and so they kept that in as like a joke basically Mm. for for the movie and and i think in the movie it makes a more effective joke because like it's it's obviously yeah the fact that that morgan freeman is a black man and not yeah exactly (laughs) um But then, yeah, Dufresne gets messed with by the young boys who Red calls a few different names, sissies, bull queers, and all other sorts of politically correct uh, 1940s (laughs) jail terms. Um, And uh, I don't think uh, I don't think old Andy Dufresne liked that very much, but uh, but he put up with it. He tried to fight him off several times. He puts up with it for two years, basically. Yeah, we find out later from red which is is pretty crazy because there's a line he's like that was his routine i do believe those first two years were the worst for him and if i believe if things that went on this way this place for longer it would have gotten the best of him i can't do yeah. morgan freeman but like he, he's he, like he's like i'd like to tell you that andy fought him off i wish i could tell you that i'd sure <laughs> like to tell you that he didn't get horribly physically and sexually assaulted I wish I could tell you that. I just want to say, this just stuck out to me right now, Phil. Your Morgan Freeman sounds an awful lot like Cleveland from Family Guy. Yeah, Time. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah. It's a little closer to Cleveland. Like it's uncanny. Yeah. It's closer to Cleveland. Maybe it's that's what... It's because I was watching the Family Guy adaptation of this. Like, when it's like, <laughs> uh, Andy Dufresne didn't say two, mo- two words to anybody for the first month he was in there. When he did say them, they were to me. Vagina poop. So then Dufresne and the boys get some outdoor detail, and uh, he kind of uh, finagles the boys some beers through helping the warden, or not the warden, but the uh, the chief uh, do his taxes to avoid having to having to pay a bunch of uh, tax money. What was that? It was like three beers each for everybody. uh, For tarring a roof for like a hot tarring a hot roof for like. Uh, like they what they were up there for, for a week, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. but oh, they man. were stoked on that. Like, like oh, absolutely. Was like, yeah, May absolutely. was a damn fine month to be working outside. Yeah, but like that's like if I helped you move and you yeah. gave me three beers, I'd be pissed off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't actually, but I'd be like, I'm not helping to move again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so now he's made himself some friends among the crew, and uh, we we catch a. A scene in his cell, which again is like another little hinting foreshadowing scene, but he's using the rock hammer, but it's just to carve his name in the wall and uh, some people's names in the wall. And... I was trying to carve a bodang in the wall uh, personally, but I could be wrong. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Imagine that was a scene, just him like drawing a big wiener, <laughs> like the latest like, scene, yeah, like the latest, just that's like the the end. Like, well, no, he was, the he violence was to... come up. Yeah, he was he was trying to like cross off like the little the little bracket for the head part and that's when the brick falls out <laughs> and he realizes that he can like break through yeah anyways uh we, we should just do pull a... the poster down and there's just a dick there <laughs> we, should do, we should do an adaptation of shawshank redemption maybe anyways um andy gets smashed by the bull queers bogs and the boys and then uh because he helped out the the police chief there uh they Boggs. beat the crap out of Boggs, yeah, <laughs> so he can't walk and he has to by... eat his food through a straw for the rest of his life yeah yeah and then uh 
the cons are so happy that uh, Andy got them those beers that they're going to get some rocks for him to build his chessboard. And when Andy gets out of uh, the infirmary, he uh, has Rita Hayward herself, the uh, the poster of the actress that, that he'd seen in the theater. And uh, we finally get that kind of reveal from early in the movie. And un- unless you've seen the movie, you don't really, you know, get why the poster is so significant. Like, you think that it's just a dude who wants to look at, like, a beautiful woman in prison. And, I mean, in fairness, I'd want to look at a beautiful woman if I was in prison. Well, the thing is, is the mo- the, the the story was originally called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, if it was still called that, I think, like, I think Shawshank Redemption is even a bad name for a movie. And it's one of the reasons why this movie didn't do so well when it first came out. But I think they mm-hmm. should have left it, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, because it kind of like once again foreshadows what happens at the end of the movie, well, right? And that actually kind of gives me a bit of like a two Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar kind of vibe too. So you know, it sounds like a fun, a fun time. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Dufresne has now made so many friends that, including among the staff at Shawshank, that he uh, gets detail in the library, um, and then all of a sudden the guards are bringing their buddies to do some uh some financial stuff and uh, my favorite line in that part is where they rescheduled the baseball season so the other guards in other prisons <laughs> yeah. could get their taxes done and you just see like these fat sweaty dudes in their old school like 1950s you know like remember our baseball outfits looked real like pajamas yeah. with big yeah. socks basically and then yeah. you see all those They're all coming I, in I found that part really funny fun. to me i don't know why trust fund set up all that stuff yeah um and one character i want to point out here is brooksy because Brooksy's in the library. He's the library guy. And uh, he's the one who s- helps smuggle uh, Andy's rock hammer. And he's awesome. Like He's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's and introduced to him earlier. He takes care yeah, of Yeah, you're introduced to him earlier with the bird. Uh, when Andy, uh, on his first meal, finds a nice little tasty maggot. Another, a funny little note about that. So... Uh, I forget, like, the ASPCA or something was there while they were filming, and they wouldn't let them use a live maggot to feed the the bird. They had to go find a, a dead one to feed yeah. the, the bird to, to make it, you know, okay for, for animal lovers. But, yeah, I like Brooks. I think he's one of those characters. I think he's an important part of the story. You know how sometimes you watch movies, and certain, like, subplots and sub-characters mm-hmm. are, like, not important, and their story doesn't matter at all? I yeah. think Brooks is really important. Obviously, you know, the next Definitely. scene is basically displays his importance to the movie. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, I, I just want to have a side note here because it's going to play in later is right at this point, Andy uh, wants to expand the library and get more funding. And the only way he can do that is to write them a letter a week or sorry, to write them a letter. But then he decides he's going to write one every single week to get this money. But yes, um, right at this point, we get Brooksy. He's he served his time. He gets discharged. And he really doesn't want to leave. Like, he tries to actually, like, stab one of the cons that he's friends with because he, he wants to stay. He's like, it's the only way they'll let me stay because he's institutionalized. As and we get one of, like, there's a lot of, like, really cool, like, one-liners in this movie, I think, that are, like, really, like, poetic. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Friggin says one of the best ones here where he says, they send you here for life and that's exactly what they take, the part that counts anyways. And mm-hmm. that that was, like, kind of, like, that made me realize, like, how messed up like imprisoning someone is and i think it's oh my gosh dude same and like i was all high and i was like i would not survive in prison (laughs) well and and you know what i thought of is like you know obviously we can talk about the fact that we're like all locked down for for covid like you guys live with your families and stuff i i live alone man and living alone is like during covid is obviously i can go and leave and and do stuff but it definitely gives you like a you definitely have to find some mental clarity to deal with it because it, it sucks being like stuck in like a routine and like stuck doing the same thing all the right, time. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's been tough. I, I, yeah. I can, I can only imagine like what it must be like. Yeah. Just to be like, you're like, uh, and you're like in this like super high, like high up in this apartment building. You're just like trapped mm-hmm. in your tower. Oh, pretty much. I'm sorry, buddy. It's but fine. It me a little joy. It's I can smoke weed and watch movies. It's not like there I'm actually go. in prison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Brooksy had served his uh, his two life sentences, fifty years. He gets out. Um, ironically, that is the exact same as Andy's sentence. So, I uh, in my stoned brain, I was like, "Oh, was this kind of like the initial catalyst to set off like his whole grand escape plan?" Um, 
but yeah, then we get some Brooksy narration about life after prison. And, uh, you know, he talks about how he keeps hoping that Jake will come visit him because he lets Jake go. And that's super sad scene, by the way. Like, I Jake my, just pieces out there. <laughs> yeah. like he's like, there's, yeah. there's no like he doesn't like look back or anything. like, no, I'm a fucking like I'm a fucking crow, dude. Like, let me go. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then uh, obviously Brooksy hangs himself because prison was his life and he just doesn't he's not compatible with the outside now. And, uh, you know, that was that was a bit of a sad point. But then they kind of like bring you up. This movie has a lot of ups and downs. And like, it turns out the state finally gave Andy the the book order. Um, it only took six years of petitioning them once a week. Um, and then we get this fun scene. It's uh, I don't know how significant to the plot it was, but just more so for Andy's character development as being like this kind of horse of a different color type of type of character he puts a he locks the guard in the bathroom and locks everyone out and puts music over the pa system you guys know what the song is 10 bucks to who doesn't look it up and can tell me right now you guys don't know no it's uh it's mozart's the marriage of figaro but i thought you guys were cultured I should have oh, known yeah, better. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, I saw you look at your notes there, buddy. Because uh, I, I, yeah, because I, I take notes, Phil, when I do the show. Thanks. <laughs> um, so then we, so we get this. I on my phone. We get this great Freeman monologue over the, the PA system music part where everybody's kind of listening to, uh, to the music. And he's, I don't know what those two Italian ladies were saying, but that was the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard. <laughs> it's like, man. Um, so. In the Family Guy adaptation of this, he's, he does the same thing, but he, he puts on Holla Back Girl off Gwen Stefani's solo album. <laughs> Very it's nice. pretty great. Uh, um, so yeah, Andy gets sent to the hole for two weeks, which is solitary confinement. And, uh, you know, after he gets out, though, he like still is trying to give them hope. Like he's he's still trying to give all the guys hope and, and saying stuff like, uh, like in the scene where Freeman gets his parole rejected again. Um, after 30 years, Andy gives him a harmonica and he's trying to say like, you gotta, you gotta play music. You gotta keep music in you because it's the one thing they can't take. Like it's, it's your, you know, link to the real world. And it's just like, man, this guy is just, just different. And we actually get a great scene where, uh, red tries the harmonica in the cell and just like one note, but you can tell it's just enough to kind of like open that window for him. Yeah, and... that scene is so sad, though. It's like, yeah, like, there were a few points in this movie, especially like at the end of this movie, I had to like give my, I was like giving my wife a hard time about crying just to distract from the fact that I was almost crying. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, it's like such like a like a just, it's a it's a it's okay for bros to cry at this movie. Yeah. Well, this movie is just full of like constant like heartbreaking themes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's like it's kind of a weird movie too because it's like one of the few movies that I think shows like a real true like love story between two men that isn't like sexual in any way. It's right. actually like true. Like I'm gonna say it's, it's not the first one, but okay. Yeah. But no, it's like, not the first one, but like the first one that like, that is so like, we it, did it's not, cover like, dumb and dumber by the way. Yeah. But like these guys can't... obviously have a more poetic, like powerful <laughs> friendship than anyone. I could, I can't imagine another film character sure. that has and, a story like that. Well, and the circumstance that's, that's part of the circumstance of just like, yeah. Yeah, totally everything. Um, we get kind of uh, an inconsequential scene, or so it seems, that where there's like Andy is like, no, I'm going to write those guys twice a week now to get another library expansion, and uh, like turns out like he's he's kind of running things, like he's made the prison rich, and like laundered a bunch of money for them, and yeah. like invent invented this like fictional persona that owns all the holdings and stuff. And that plays into the movie again, more foreshadowing for later. But yeah, he he is basically a one man wrecking crew for that prison. Well, he basically helped uh, Warden Norton and like institute his like inside out plan, where he basically makes prisoners work for cheap labor and therefore taking uh, you know a lot of work around the town. And I love the mm -hmm. line where him and him and Red are talking about it. Red and and Andy. And yeah. I love the line from uh, Red where he's like, he's got his fingers in a lot of pie, I hear. Kickbacks on his kickbacks. Like, they're yeah. just like, uh, just amazed at how dirty and evil Norton is, which is kind of for says like a lot a about. thumping guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not only, and he's so evil and he's so like flagrant about it 
with mm-hmm. with the prisoners because like they can't say shit and he yeah. and he just like he just yeah he just flies it in their face you know so yeah uh, yeah it's it's yeah oh you're and you're then, the jerk of the week warden you're the jerk of the week <laughs> I I yeah I was gonna give the guys who uh who planned the the big bopper and Buddy Holly's tour the jerk of the week but uh no I think the warden gets it um anyways um Andy seeing the warden safe behind the painting or behind the sorry tapestry of of the religious quote uh i to me that stuck out i don't know if this was actually true because it never like elaborated on it later but to me that like triggered the idea to hide the hole behind the poster but so that could have been more foreshadowing or could that that could have just been a coincidence i don't know but uh you were talking about terrell the uh the conversation between red and andy and they're like talking between the bookcase and stuff. And what I like there is when he's like, I had to come to prison to be a crook or yeah. to become a crook. Yeah. Cause like oh, he's yeah. maintained the whole time that he's in innocent, right? Like he's been steadfast on that and hasn't let it go. And then we actually have some corroboration of that because Tommy Williams, a new prisoner gets admitted and he's in there for only two years, but we find out, uh, Andy takes him under his wing, teaches him to read courtesy of uh, some more great Freeman monologues. We find out all this stuff. But then uh, Andy teaches him to read. Tommy takes like the, the exam for his high school diploma and he flips out because he thinks he failed it. But then, uh, I don't know, maybe it was like his moment of rage or whatever, but he tells uh, Andy about a guy who copped to the murder of Andy's wife and her lover. Elmo while... Blatch is his name. Yeah, while in a different prison. And so when Andy goes and tells the warden, he's like, cow. So he throws him in solitary for a month. And because like, he got because he called him obtuse. Hey, Phil, yeah. you're looking a little obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> you going to throw me in solitary? That was a joke. Another family guy. <laughs> I can look quite acute if I want to. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is what's really cool about this, too, is up until that point where where it is revealed that Andy is innocent, like Andy, he's a likable character, but like on your first watch through of the movie, you're like, I don't like, I don't know, maybe he did do it because like like the he he becomes this other person that he mm-hmm. has to be in prison, where he's just like, you know what, it's you know I I need to be this hard person that maybe I did do it, maybe I am just saying I'm innocent, you know. So yeah. I thought that was real a really good writing and and really good acting and and just just great sure. once again great filmmaking on uh, on on everyone's part there. Yeah, and and I think that you know a first time watch through up until this point, it's intentionally ambiguous, right? Like he could be, he could not be. And up until that point, I was thinking like, you know, maybe he did it. Maybe he didn't. I I had no real idea. Like you'd see him in one scene and you'd be like, Oh, that guy totally did it. And then another, you'd be like, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Um, but yeah. Uh, while Andy's in solitary, we find out that Tommy passes high school exam, but then promptly after that gets whacked by the warden. Well, not specifically the warden, but on the orders of the warden, um, because he confronts him and, oh man, we talk about how evil this guy is. Like he literally, he literally tells Tommy, like, would you, would you attest to his innocence? Like, or to have hear, heard about his innocence? Would you put your hand on a Bible and swear it before a court? He's like, yes, I would, sir. Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah, this guy doesn't make uh, Christians look so great. That's all I got to say. (laughs) Well, uh, in in what in the actual uh, in the short story by Stephen King, uh, Tommy actually he's like, "Would you attest to that?" And he's like, "No." Like, like he's like basically agrees to keep his mouth shut and uh, gets moved to a nicer prison instead of getting whacked like he does in the movie. Oh, I think the movie's version is way more effective. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Like, but uh, just it's yeah, just funny that difference because Stephen King's just like, now nah, let's just make him a way more of a jerk. Well, he, here's the thing: like, if you can, like, if you your movie adaptation of a Stephen King book is more evil than what Stephen King would write, <laughs> you've done a like, good job. You've done a good job. <laughs> um, wow. But yeah, the warden confronts Andy in the solitary in the hole and basically tells him, "Keep making me money, or you, sir, are fucked." And uh, and then just just Think because he's it. just because he's a supreme douchebag, he gives him another month to think about it, like another month. And, and I think the, the the scene after this is probably like the best scene in the movie. I think it's the most like powerful and, I agree. and like 
and and the scene where like he taught red talks to andy and i yeah. love this part because like andy says like my wife used to say i'm a hard man to know like a closed book she is beautiful god i loved her He's like, I just didn't know how to show it. I killed her, Red. I didn't pull the trigger, but I drove her away. And that's why she died, because of the way I am. And he's like, mm-hmm. you know, Red's like, tries to console him. He's like, it doesn't make you a murderer. Maybe a bad husband, maybe. And Andy talks about, like, going to Mexico. And what I really love about this scene is I think what it does is it there's kind of like this, like, um, you know, realization on Andy's part, like, that he deserves to kind of, like, find redemption, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of this movie is about. Like, cool. I think... He finds redemption in and Red kind of like is atoned finally for Definitely. like what he did. And and even though he maintained his innocence, like there's that little uh sliver of doubt because he was so drunk at the start, right? Like he he was like pass out drunk. So I think not only for us was it ambiguous, but I think for him, like even though he maintained his innocence, like there's that sliver of doubt that maybe it could have been. So when that Tommy stuff happened, you know, it kind of changed him to the point that he's like Yeah. I love you how know, that scene Red's just like, he's like, yeah, that doesn't make you a killer. Like, yeah, you were a shitty husband, but you're not a killer. You know, it's like, right. Yeah. You can use and, a haircut there, Andy Dufresne, but you ain't no killer. <laughs> well, and I, you know, talking about, about the, the one thing I forgot to mention at the start of the movie, um, you know how Andy, when he's in court, he tells them that he threw the gun in the, the, the river or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, modern forensics, like, if you own a gun, even back then, he should have not thrown the gun away and gave it to them. And they would have been able to tell him that it wasn't yeah. the bullets that killed his wife. And he would have been yeah, off. Yeah. That would have been the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, but back then they're just like, well, you know what you got to do is throw the gun up in the air. And if it points to the West, he's innocent. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, but like, literally, no, they, they had gun forensics back then, actually. Yeah. But I mean, there was also a lot of, of horrible, like false convictions back then. But uh Anyways, yeah, like this is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. They're talking about uh, Zia Wantaneo, if I pronounced that right. Zia um, Wantaneo. I think it's actually, I don't think it actually exists. No. Yeah, it does. It, it, yes, it does. It, 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 uh, it does it? Is it a real it's place? The, it's like the fifth largest city in Mexico or something like that. Really? I swear I Wikipedia'd that like earlier this week. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Phil, I thought you were a big Mexican. I thought you would know this. But yeah, it is a big, it is a big, it's a resort in, in Mexico on the Pacific yeah, well, Coast. My so. family's from in Mexico. It's not resorty or anything like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, it's um, just poverty and drug cartels. But the, the line <laughs> I like in that, in that scene with Andy and Red is uh, get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I like that sure. they revisit that later. Um, but I also like that we get, this is kind of on the nose foreshadowing, so it's not really foreshadowing, but he gives Red the instructions for if he ever gets out. And you just know as like a film buff or whatever that like you're not going to yep. give someone these instructions unless he's going to get out later, right? So Yeah, and then I, I think the, the movie, like you start to realize that it, like if you watch this movie many times before, which let's face it, if you had TNT, you know, interesting <laughs> fact. A lot. Yeah. Interest, interesting fact, this movie was sold for really cheap to them. So that's why it's played so much because it doesn't cost them as much to, to run this film. That's why all of us have seen the Shawshank Redemption like well, seven times. If time. you grew up where we grew up, it was uh, always if you had TNT, that meant you had one of those RCA dishes with the stolen direct TV. Yeah. And everything was free. And Shawshank Redemption was awesome. But what I was going to say is you kind of know this is like the beginning of the end because they talk, uh, Red talks to Haywood about how he gave Andy six feet a, of rope. A rope, and, yeah. And then you kind of get the scene where Norton's in the office. And I actually love this scene too, because like now it starts as, it's kind of like a, you know, we always use this word, but it's kind of like, a, almost like a little bit of a montage kind of scene yeah. where it goes through like Norton's in the office with Andy. He's like, shine my shoes. I want them looking like mirrors. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nice having you back, Andy. Play saying the same with you. And one of the things I always wanted to point out of this scene if you look at Andy here, you'll notice that he's like really like dark eyed and looks like mm-hmm. really like sad and morose. And he kind of like walks slowly. That's because he's been up all night, baby, digging the yeah. tunnel to get the heck out of but, there. <laughs> but like as a first time watch through, you're like, has this place finally broken him? That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, the constant he's going to hang himself. And then the next morning he's just gone. And what I love about that montage is not just that like it's a montage of all the different things that led up to his escape and all the little components that he did but it's got freeman narrating a lot of it it just yeah. that like man that guy could narrate my life and i'd be okay oh with man i don't know i feel like if he narrated my life I, my life would probably be a lot better like like i think i would have made wiser decisions you know for sure 
for sure. Um, like now, yeah, Phil, just do the right thing. You this... know you have to. <laughs> oh, what I love, what I love about it too is like uh, he's like Andy Dufresne escaped Shawshank in 1966, but then he starts detailing how like his escape plan was actually very methodical, except for the part where he crawled through half a mile of shit in a sewer. <laughs> Which is he actually funny. 500 yards of shit smell and foulness. The, in, when they were filming that, at first, um, the, he didn't want to do it. Um, the, the, uh, the, the, why am I not remembering uh, his name? Um, Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins, sorry. Tim Robbins didn't want to do it. But it, it was actually just like uh, chocolate syrup and like wood shavings and like dirt kind of mixed together. Um, but he still didn't want to do it. And apparently to this day, that like pipe area still smells like chocolate because yeah. of the, the movie. Well, they <laughs> actually have that pipe uh, or, oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's a different prop. But uh, that that's uh, the hole that he dug, sorry, through the yeah. tunnel. That was a prop for them to get that awesome shot, which mm-hmm. everybody remembers. It's the first thing you probably think of when you, when you think of this movie. But yeah. that... Because that prison is still standing; it's long since out of out of uh, operation. Uh, it even was when they filmed the movie. Uh, but that 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 prop actually sits in that prison, like on display. It's pretty cool. There's some YouTube videos there. People that go there and and like recreate. Yeah, it's a big tourist. It's pretty neat. Nice. Yeah, it's a big tourist attraction. Um, yeah, I, I often wondered if that uh, that vomit scene in the pipe was maybe real. Because I know he oh. didn't like the shit he was wading through. That scene is so horrible because like, you see him vomit and then he's crawling and like all I can think of, I'm like you like he's trying to stay above the poo and pee level. Sorry yeah. guys, we're really in my wheelhouse now. It's getting to poo and pee jokes. <laughs> you know he got some of that in his mouth. Oh Ooh, yeah, nose, in Ooh. his nose, in his yeah, ears, like, in his eyes. Like you know, Ugh. like if you've ever had your septic system back up, and I have. Like I've had to deal. Like Terrell, Brett, if you've ever pooped or peed at my house. I had to clean that shit, sorry, no pun intended, up. Um, but, uh, yeah, that seems way worse. And then when he gets out to the other end, you're like, oh, finally. And then you think about it, and no, he literally lands in, like, a river of poo-poo and pee-pee. And then has yeah. to crawl through that. Like, he's just lucky it's raining when he gets out of there. Yeah. Well, I but, think that what I, what I love about that, uh, this, this scene, too, is that, um, you know, if you think about it, crawling through all that like for half a mile you think about it he just spent 20 years in prison that was like a cakewalk to mm-hmm. you know what he's been through i for feel. sure for sure and not only that system's it helps, gonna shit you out it helps that he he had totally on the sly concocted this plan to walk off with three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in 1966 yeah, money which is like that's a bit of a light at the end of that shit tunnel for that's sure a, that's about three that's about three million dollars in today's time yeah and, and in so Mexico, that's a lot of money. He basically <laughs> simultaneously took all that money, blew the whistle on the warden and his lackeys at Shawshank, and then uh, escaped to Mexico. And we get this great line from Freeman talking about it where he's like, some birds weren't meant to be caged. <laughs> just like Their feathers are just too bright. And yeah. when they fly away, part of the you that knows it was a sin. a river of shit to come out clean on the other side. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, oh great part of the movie um but yeah then what i love about this is after andy's escape red comes up for parole again and what i love is he changes the way he speaks to the parole board like he had had this canned speech that he had given every time he'd been up and this time he kind of just spoke from the heart and he talks about how like if he could see his past self he'd talk to him he's like but but that guy doesn't exist anymore you just have this old con or whatever oh red's getting real red's getting real and uh (laughs) inexplicably they they bought it and they approved his parole and uh we get a little bit of stuff with freeman here where he he feels much the same as brooksy did when he first well he's reliving brooksy's life basically to the point that like he's even in the same halfway house where it says brooks was here and that was the one point in this movie when i'm like really like like that, that that's a bit of a like a blatant plot device because like you think about how many prisoners are in that prison yeah. um it's like you, you got this you got the same job in the same room as him but well, you know what it, on the, it, it on the side up. note though if you think about it these all these like prison people are obviously evil so like they're like hey wasn't red friends with brooks and didn't brooks kill himself let's just put him in the same room see if he kills himself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. like isn't that that's probably yeah, what they're doing I guess so i guess <laughs> so yeah so that's my sure. that's my take. Um, and then uh, he 
his his kind of saving grace in that moment is that he had made a promise to Andy, so he goes to the spot that he told Andy he would, ends up getting an envelope that has some money and uh, a note to meet him at Zihuatanejo. Uh, I probably botched that again, but anyways, um, meet him in Mexico, and then we get a rehash of the get busy living or get busy dying. And then uh, while he's traveling and he's on his way, he uh, he gives this great kind of monologue. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but he, it's about hope, basically. And right at the end, he's like, I hope. And I was just like, oh, man, what a great way. And then it's there's there's no further dialogue in the movie, but he just like meets Andy at the end. And just like, uh, man, it's a special movie. I, I think it's like it's one of those movies that it's like you're you're in for this like two hour and 15 minutes, like sludge of just like the worst parts of humanity, I feel mm-hmm. like prison and how prisoners are treated. And I think as you like, as you grow older, now that I'm older, I think that prison is inhumane and I don't like it. And I think this movie really kind of like plays off of what that can do to humans. Like, I think it makes people worse, not like rehabilitated. But mm-hmm. I think the one thing that I wanted to talk about with this movie with you guys, um, do you guys see this film as being interpreted as like Christian mysticism? Like, no. are you, no, you don't see that. You don't. No, no I, I, Stephen I King's really... not going to write a book like that. Like, I just don't see it. Like, or like, I just or maybe he would, but it would be like, I don't know. I think that's just honestly just a kind of a Christian agenda to hijack a really like one of the best movies of all time, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I never, I never uh, really got that, and I was a devout Christian for several years, and I never really. Picked. Yeah, me neither. I just read that like online. There's a lot of yeah. like stories about how like Andy is a messianic, like Christ-like figure. Right, and Red, and, and, and Red fairness, is like one of fairness, his I, disciples. I will say, like in a lot of my notes, um, I have stuff about how like Andy is a perfect example of what someone who is different than the norm, right? It's someone who kind of like lives his life by his own kind of purpose and his own kind of moral center and and just does his own thing and genuinely cares about other people like everything he did where he stood out or like had to like kind of um you know put himself out there which is in prison is something you don't want to do right you don't want to get the attention but anytime he would have to do something where he got attention his his only ask was that somehow the lives of his friends or the people around him get better in some way Hmm. and it just well to kind of like to to play off that brett i just i just kind of triggered a memory of one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're all sitting after uh after andy broke out and all the guys are sitting around the lunch table like and he's holding him by the shirt and i will drop you off this building you know like they're all telling their andy stories and just like just laughing their ass off like it's Mm -hmm. like it's like when we tell stories from high school but they're just talking about their buddy andy who basically you know gave the system the finger and and got away uh Yeah. yeah it's just it's such a good movie but as to the christian agenda like I can I can see where you would where you would draw those parallels, but uh, I I don't buy it, especially not like especially knowing this like like who wrote the source material. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't really get it either, but that's that's basically uh, my thoughts on the movie. So I'm ready to get to uh, some ratings. I have a feeling. So- uh, more thing about just it's about the very end of the movie is that last shot when they they meet up and Andy's on the boat and they run together yeah and then it pans out and they're on that beautiful shoreline and it's just the exact opposite like it's all sun and sand and water and green and luscious and the rest of the movie takes place within walls and concrete yeah. and steel yeah. and misery and and it pans out and it just you've never seen you you have not seen those colors in that movie at all yeah and it pans out and it hits you and it's like that's like when like i'm like oh shit getting misty eyed like the, the yeah. dad and me well, coming out because you know? <laughs> that's that's freedom right yeah we, yeah we, but, we, we spent this yeah, like it, yeah, it just hits you on this visual level. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Sorry to we, cut you we off spent here, this buddy. whole movie kind of confined, and at the end we get this big free scene. Yeah, I yeah. totally, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. So back boys, then they didn't have drones either, so they would have had to shoot that with a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Just thought of that. <laughs> yeah, the, it, 
yeah, just the filmmaking in this movie was actually spectacular. Like this, like I said, uh, this is uh, the director's, in my opinion, his magnum opus of movies. This and Green Mile were like his creme de la creme. Yeah, it's definitely probably the best. Like we said earlier, like probably the best movie ever. Like I, I like out of it's up there. We've we've done a few where we said they were the best movie ever. Though what was like, the other best movie? Terminator Two, Mad Max, Fury Road. Yeah, best action movie. We said okay, we didn't say okay. overall best movie. Okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Like me personally, if I was to give this a rating, it would be a solid like nine point eight. Just because yeah. it is just the what can you say? Like there's not much to say. Yeah. It's just so good. Like any movie that makes you feel like a million emotions is yeah. special. And I think at the end of this movie, you feel like you really like watch like a full circle story. That's what I like about it. It's yeah. one of those like there's actual plot elements that matter, there's sub characters that matter. They all kind of play into the picture of Andy and Red. And it's a cool story of two guys that actually like truly care about each other and their friendship is based on like real trust and humor and shared experience. And we don't get enough like heartwarming movies like this. Like nowadays Hollywood movies are so like blowing stuff up and getting the girl and like corny stuff we've seen so much. And And the thing is that stuff doesn't hold up 20 years down the line as we've seen when we went back and kind of revisited some, some Uh, action Demolition man was sick. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. For sure. I'm not saying that. I'm saying uh, in a lot of cases, like when you try to be too much like of a technological kind of cutting edge film, then with within X amount of time, your film no longer, you know, can set the standard that modern effects and stuff can get to because this movie was a very story driven. um, The settings and the the, you know, the costuming and everything was all very uh like period related like it was all in the 50s and stuff they didn't have a lot of effects and stuff they had to do it was a very narrative driven story and as a result it will hold up i feel like forever so i'm gonna give the movie uh a 9.6 and yeah. uh yeah that's what I'm i going. honestly like I, I'm not gonna lie, boys. This is to me. This is the 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 two princes of film. Uh, ten out of ten for me. Like until something comes out that's better than this, then that will raise the bar. But as far as like this is, I I watched it and I was like, oh yeah, this is the best movie ever made. Like it's just yeah. it's absolutely incredible. You know, like uh, like you guys like you were saying, Terrell. You know, it, uh, it everything comes full circle. There are no mm-hmm. loose ends by the end of this movie. Uh, at least ones of any consequence or that could alter the outcomes in any way. Uh, the acting is just absolutely amazing. There's when when uh, when Tim Robbins is doing his whole get busy living or get busy dying shtick. He does. There's a pause. And his lip quivers, and it's just like there's acting, and then there's that where it's just yeah. like I, I, I couldn't make my lip do that, but it would do that if I were in such a gut wrenching situation. Right? Um, there's just so much to love here. The cinematography mm-hmm. is amazing. The music, the soundtrack's amazing. Yes. Yes. It's got Morgan Freeman freaking narrating the shit. Yeah. Like it is just it's there's 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 nothing not that you've that you can't love or sorry there's everything to love here i don't know what i'm gonna get now but yeah i'll stop gushing 10 out of 10 right up there with the spin doctors boys so uh so we may stop gushing here but you all should uh start gushing and go watch shawshank redemption if you haven't already if you have watched again and uh gush along with us um i think that's going to be about it for this week's episode unless you guys have anything else to say uh oh uh vagina boob (laughs) (laughs) well not exactly the uh the kind of thing i was thinking but no um i would just like to open up uh some dialogue about following us on our social media channels uh instagram and twitter it's at the stoners pov and if you want to suggest a movie or a song email us uh stoners pov at gmail.com and we will you know, take it under advisement, so yep. to speak. Also, another quick reminder that uh, there is the Stoner's POV Spotify playlist. 
I believe Chantilly Lace is already on there. I think I threw it up ahead of time. If not, I'm throwing it on there right now, so it'll already be there when you look at it anyways. And I will always do my best to keep next week's song up there as well so you can get high mm-hmm. and listen to it too. Attaboy. And speaking of getting high, I just want to plug next week's episode a little bit because we like... Oh, it's a biggie. We're, we're, we're artistic fellows, and we like to, to do really great movies and really great songs, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We will continue to do so. But every once in a while, we got to indulge our stoner fan base. This is a stoner's POV, and next week we have a very stonerific episode. Our song, Afro Man, Because I Got High. You can't be much more on the nose than that. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> and the movie, it couldn't be any other movie. It's got to be Half-Baked. Yeah, a really episode, good movie. This episode is going to hit like you are a woman on stage at an Afro Man concert, if you know what I'm saying. I will post a, a YouTube link to that in the show notes, just so you know. And it do, it's not just an inside joke. Um, there was a concert that Afro Man actually like uh, <laughs> open hand slapped a woman and knocked her onto a drum riser. I don't and think it, it was a slap. I think it was more of a closed uh-huh. hand slap <laughs> i didn't i didn't see his hand closed well, but let's you could debate right. it let's debate it next week let's watch yes. it and then we'll okay. debate it next week okay all you're right, you're right all right we've wasted your time long enough uh for terrell and phil my name is brett this is the stoner's point of view thank you for listening and tune in next week we'll see you then bye-bye bye you believe whatever you want floyd but i'm telling you these walls are funny first you hate them and you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. <laughs>